Welcome to Security Lab Podcast. I am Aidila Raza. I am the special report editor at Malaysia Kini. I've been in this role for about two years, but prior to that, I've been with Malaysia Kini in total um, right now about 11 years. So I started as a general dress reporter, and then now I'm doing special reports, which is generally anything that's not uh, breaking news or within the 24 hour news cycle. I went back to school a couple of years ago or three years ago because I realized that um, whatever training I got 10 years before that uh, was not enough to do journalism today. Today, journalists need to know how to code, to understand data, to understand technology. So I went back to school to, do, to, uh, to learn that. And then when I came back, I, uh, we, I started working with this team in Malaysia Kini called the Kini News Lab, um, which uses technology or experiments with technology to do uh, different types of journalism or uh, different ways of doing journalism. I'm not actually formally part of the News Lab. I, I, the way they put it is that they support my work. So sometimes my work requires um, different ways of presenting the data or presenting the story. So I will work with the Kini News Lab on that. That's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Uh, so uh, what do you think about the current uh, COVID-19 situation that's uh, affecting Malaysia and also Asia in general? Oh, that's not, I mean, I don't think I'm going to say anything that is very different from what anyone else is thinking. It's, it's a really, really difficult situation especially now. And for a journalist, it has been a really harrowing year for us um, in Malaysia, especially because we have had to cover this pandemic as well as political upheaval at the same time. So it's been a really difficult year. For, um, for others, obviously this pandemic is something that is beyond health. It, lots of people have lost their livelihoods in this situation. So I know that this is something that the government keeps saying that we have to balance life, lives and livelihood, but I don't think anyone has actually found the right balance for that yet. The reason for this uh, particular episode of the podcast basically is to find out about um, the situation on the ground. I'm sure you have a lot of stories and uh, maybe a, a many tear-jerking ones as well. Um, and we want to look into the role of data when it comes to especially contact tracing data. Maybe there's other kinds of data as well, um, besides the ones that is provided by my Sajatra apps to, that is like painting um, the scenario or, 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 or feeding, the feeding, feeding the statistics which the Malaysian public is uh, seeing every day and which also kind of like uh, plays an influence on their their emotions and their moods and things like that. For example, my mom, she would further, um, without fail, she wants to know the number of uh, new cases every day. Uh, I myself personally, I to whether the, 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 the number of new cases is 100 or, or uh, 100,000, I would still do what I do, which is like follow the guidelines and you know do what I can to keep myself safe and so on and so forth. What 
what do you see the role of uh, the statistic, statistics that is being shared every day? Yes. It's in my, in my introduction, I can really say that right now, at least for the, since March, quite a lot of my day is spent on maintaining the COVID-19 tracker that the Kini News Lab has put together. Mm -hmm. So this tracker is like a dashboard, essentially, uh, which has all your daily stats mm -hmm. that you get for KPM, your, your every, um, how many new cases, all these other things, as well as locations of uh, cases, which mm -hmm. we can get from public information. Okay. So either your um, building management makes announcements or shops or even residents will contact us to say, uh, my family member has has had COVID, can you please put my look, my house on the map just okay. so that my neighbours would know. So these sort of information is really to help people to get a grasp of the what is the situation um, in a larger scale. So instead of just having information piecemeal everywhere, everything is in one place. Mm -hmm. So the, our idea initially when we started it was really because of that, because we were running around everywhere trying to get information. Mm -hmm. um, some of it is in this Jabatan Kebersihatan's Facebook page, some of it is in the press statement of uh, the Sarawak government or whatever. So we want to put everything in one place to make it easier for people. Okay, that's great. Uh, it sounds as though there's like many sources where this information is coming on, coming from. Uh, since you <laughs> okay, so there's there's more than just uh, the official announcements from DG who when he announces the statistics is does it uh, correlate or does it correlate with the numbers that you see? Yes, absolutely. So I, I'm not saying that um, these numbers are not official numbers. They are, but. Uh, it is in a way quite decentralized the way KKM handles this um, pandemic or even any sort of uh, outbreak. The Jabatan Kesihatan Negeri has a lot of autonomy. So they do, they release their data themselves. So this data is the one that's collated by the um, CTRC, which is what Center for Preparedness and Crisis. I don't, I don't know, I don't remember now what it stands for. Yeah. But anyway, so they collect the data and then this data was is the one that makes up the uh, press statements but of course it's very detailed so not everything goes in there but as someone who's just a, like an everyday person I don't it, the national stats uh, does not um, how do I say does not tell the, the story for me I need to know how bad is my state do I need to prepare for a lockdown in my state for example mm -hmm. so or even a lockdown in my district so this information is not really given out in the, in the daily uh, press statements. So you have to go check on the social media of the, your respective uh, and then try to scout there for that, the chart and everything else. So, Okay, maybe I've been very spoiled because I get a lot of my, my, my updated information from WhatsApp messages and things like that. So it yeah, gives me a general you know idea. Fun. How do you know it's very from people send you WhatsApp messages. Okay, when when it shows a picture of the map and then with mm. uh with boxes and and statistics for for each state, I think yes. it's it's so really. It, it gives you the state and it gives you the district, but it doesn't give you the mukim. So in mukim, you have to go to look for the Jabatan Kesihatan Negeri. Okay. So what we did for most parts of the year was actually to collect everything in one place. 
but uh, up to January 10, we retired the Mukim numbers because we just didn't have the resources to do it anymore. We're hoping that we'll get more resources and we can revive it. May I know how do you get the Mukim statistics? Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. It's actually published by the Jabatan Kesihatan Negeri, but they are published in JPEG format. So, uh, most of them are not machine readable because the, the, the tables are kind of a bit fancy. So, we have to manually input them. We've tried all sort of different ways to make machines read it, but no, they, they make too much, too many mistakes. And yeah, the, the, the time spent preparing that for the machine to read it is exactly the same amount of time spent to manually input those things. Um, Adila, the mm, various yeah. sources of um, data that you have, you know, I understand that you and your team, perhaps you would take an uh, intersection uh, sectional analysis that is done on the data. Is that right? Would, or would your team do something like that? Uh, well, we record the data on this massive spreadsheet and then uh, the Malaysia Key team has access to that. And then occasionally they will come up with um, kind of data journalism stories, analyzing that data and understanding the trends that will happen. Um, on the dashboard, we would have your, your basic charts that would provide you your analysis on this. We had this chart called, called um, Patients in Treatment, which basically compares how many patients are in treatment and how many beds are available to show you the capacity. But unfortunately, um, recently, because of the uh, health ministry's decision to let some people stay at home and some people come uh, to hospital, so and they don't really publish the numbers for that, as in how many people are at home, how many are in hospitals. So we can't really say if we are uh, at capacity or over capacity in terms of beds. But basically, but the point is, every, all this information is charted. So instead of seeing your just one number every day and having to see how was it before yesterday, whatever, so you can just look at the, the, the dashboard and see a trend from January 25th of last year. Okay, yeah, I was just going to ask, do you see um, from the analysis that you've done over a long period of time, do you see any random occurrences of trends which uh, deviates from a normal one? That means something that happens because of a situation or aspect that cause an outburst, but not really a representative trend of the development of COVID-19 situation in the country. I don't know whether I'm answering your, uh, your question correctly, but I would say that if you look at the, the trend of cases, um, it's very apparent that uh, somewhere in September, things started to pick up really quickly and moving up exponentially. And I think we all know that that's the Sabah election. Mm -hmm. So before that, you can see that the line is really relatively flat. It, does, it goes up a little bit, it goes down. Later, you know, it's it, there's nothing really massive until September when things just get really out of hand. Okay, as of now, there are two things which are sticking out for me, right? Because you mentioned like building management um, authorities, they contact you. 
um, and 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 also you mentioned data journalism. I think I, I heard that. Uh, uh, so my first question would be, for now, would be, uh, what's data journalism, and uh, what was the what is the objective of data journalism? If I heard correctly, the second one be the second question which I have for now would be, is it actually okay for building management to disclose about infected persons in their premises? Could there be how do they do so in a way that doesn't violate that person's privacy? Can there um, be a way to do that? I will show you how they actually do it. So I'll take the, the second question first. Basically what they do is they release a, a notice to residents. It's very, at a very, very rare occasion where the um, building management actually sends us the notice directly. The notice is usually for residents to say that a resident of block a, for example, has tested positive on this day. Um, this person has been taken to hospital or this person is still in quarantine. And we are sanitizing the common areas of this block. Hmm. So you wouldn't exactly know which because most condominiums will have, what, 20 floors or so. And then mm -hmm. each floor would have 10 houses. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't know. Although there have been um, some notices which actually identify which unit. And I hope that they get consent from the resident first. Most of the time, it's the residents who contact the management office saying that I've been infected. Please announce this to the other residents. Uh, for uh, When we log it on our page, we don't include the unit numbers, of course. We just go down even at most um, the level, level 7 of block A, for example. But the unit numbers definitely not. There have been instances where uh, overzealous, I guess, uh, building management have not only revealed uh, unit numbers, but also names and IC numbers, which is really, I, didn't, I don't know how that came to be. Mm -hmm. So I know, I know there were disputes in that. Do you see yeah. any kind of backlash when that happened? Uh, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Uh, when that happens, the, the people oh. affected are upset. But you also see uh, other people in the residence um, not appreciating this. Like, they don't need that information. Why do you need information of people's IC numbers and whatnot? Okay. You only need to know if uh, the building has been sanitized. Is it safe for me to use a lift? Things what, like that. What about the surrounding community? Do they, I mean, um, are there reports of like the, the community around the infected person actually... I don't know, boycotting them because I have report. I have heard reports about this, not not necessarily in Malaysia, but in other countries. Well, actually, there was this um, one of the residents' associations that actually contacted us directly was this housing area in Rawang. They were having quite a quite a localized outbreak, something like sixty cases or something in their small taman, and they were. Uh, not happy that KKM wasn't actually taking much action. Um, they felt that they could have done a, a lot more or even they wanted the government to lock down their area because they felt that it was dangerous and more and more people were getting infected. Um, in that case, they actually told, told us that um, even Grab drivers, uh, once the news came out, Grab drivers, they want to come and deliver, but they were okay with that because obviously they came to us with the news and they wanted it to be publicized. So there is that situation as well. 
responsible, very responsible citizens. Yes, yeah, amazing. So, and do you want me to take the first question now, or shall we continue with this? With the first question, if you can, data journalism. Then after that, yeah. it's Prof's turn. <laughs> data journalism is essentially journalism using data. I mean, it's not even uh, anything new. Lots of journalism uses data. Uh, the difference is that now we have a, a whole discipline and uh, uh, people actually uh, specialized in just doing data journalism. So you would, we would be looking at large numbers or uh, large data sheets, for example, and then looking for trends and understanding um, if there are things that need to be reported about these trends. And then it, the, it, the data journalism reports are usually not just about the numbers. Uh, they are, of course, supported by expert analysis and things like that. So it really is about focusing on uh, trends within numbers on issues that are important. Um, so, and also just now you mentioned that a lot of information were also available on various social media platforms. Um, do you have any principles um, that the general public should have when they are reading all these um, different stories that are being shared so that they would know when they are reading what's reliable besides going to the official channels? and then also not falling prey to and be part of the dissemination of misinformation. I would share first how we verify information that comes through on social media just for our locations log. Uh, we never take information coming out of social media unless it comes out from the management of that place or a resident of that place and we can verify that that person is a resident. Um, if it's just noticed uh, uh, or posted on social media, we make it a point to call up the building to ask whether this is verified or not. But of course, if you're a person just consuming um, information on social media, you wouldn't necessarily want to call each person, uh, every building management that, that you see. So my advice has always been for, at least with with my family members who keep coming to me with notices and whatnot, is the easiest thing you could do is just Google it, because if it's some if it's something quite big and concerning, it's likely to have been reported by the news already. So you would already find it in a legitimate organization. If it's not there yet, then you might want to have a bit more uh, suspicion that it might not be true. You can also go look for, like we do, look for the actual um, source of the information. So for example, there are lots of um, kind of content farms right now who would just do screenshots and share. So you can try to, to Google specific phrases from that screenshot, or you can go to the account that uh, allegedly shared this first to actually see whether it actually occurred. So those, really, if it's something that's really quite uh, how to say it, if it's something that's quite inflammatory usually or sensational or uh, makes you feel scared or angry, it's very important to check first because those are the kind of um, red flags for fake information. 
Okay, Idila, you're the best person to ask this now because you're like uh, practically working, you're right in the middle of so much data, you're working with it, you're making sense of it, you're analyzing it, and then you're you have to present it in a way that the Malaysian public can understand and make use of, right? So like, but do you feel in your opinion, there is the right level of transparency Thanks for joining us this week on Security Lab. Make sure to visit our website at securitylab.asia where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify or via RSS so you'll never miss a show.